Welcome to the sixth episode of the fourth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to one of our founding members, a seriously wonderful woman in CX training and education from the Netherlands. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She's a human-centered design fanatic with over 15 years experience in the field, having helped create better customer and employee experiences at KLM Royal Dutch Airlines as Customer Experience Director, Dutch Airways, Gideon, and the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs. In 2021, she founded CX Unraveled, and now offers dedicated CX training and consultancy alongside lecturing in design thinking entrepreneurship at the University of Amsterdam. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Therza Schaap. Hi, Therza. Hi, Claire. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, you over the COVID now? Definitely, yep. Oh, yeah. good, good, good. I was a bit worried about you because I know you've been poorly recently. So thank you so much for, for making it today. Um, so super excited to have you. Welcome to the Women in CX podcast. Thanks. Super excited to be here. Yeah, and welcome to everybody that's listening along at home as well. So Thursday, let's just jump straight in here. And um, I'm sure the audience would love to know a little bit more about you. Um, how exactly did you get into CX and how did you end up being the co-founder of CX Unraveled? Yeah, um, I learned about CX on the job, actually. So I worked at uh, KLM Royal Dutch Airlines for uh, 13 years. And at the end of, uh, of my career there, I was actually given the opportunity to set up CX within the organization. And that's when I realized that customers and focus on customers was really my path in every single job I had had up to then. And I really enjoyed doing that. It was, I mean, it was very challenging. Uh, of course, multiple, multiple departments, uh, different silos, uh, a, a customer-centric culture, which wasn't really there. Um, and, and after I spent three years doing that, I decided I... Yeah, I wanted to do that for more organizations uh, and companies. And I freelanced for a while by myself. And then uh, last year, at the beginning of the year, I set up CX Unravel together with uh, some former colleagues. Um, and yeah, now we offer master classes um, as well as consultancy, as well as uh, uh, inspiring talks on CX. Yeah, that's how oh, it awesome. went. And how's yeah. it all going? Really, really good. I. Um, I, I, I sometimes I say I actually produced two babies last year, a real one and then this company. And, you know, knowing that I did all that and, and how we're doing business wise. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really amazed, but also enjoying it so much. Yeah. yeah, of course. And I guess we met in March last year, didn't we? So we just did over a year ago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So you were just building your business. I was just building the community and yeah. you managed to have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had a busy old year. Busy old year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure we'll come back more to talk about kind of your previous experience at KLM World Dutch Airlines. But um, I, I always ask my guests the same question around what was one challenge that you overcame to become the woman you are today? Yeah, yeah, I think there, I think there's two important ones, actually. So the first one is leaving KLM and starting for myself. And yeah, for some reason, that feels like a, an immense barrier. You know, who, who's who's going to hire me to do what? Uh, and I really had to get over that obstacle. Um, uh, but it's made me such a uh, it's, it's, it's made my life so much more inspiring, um, actually taking that chance and and seeing how it uh, how it goes. And the second one has to do with my family, with my kids. So I have three kids 
Um, and I remember when I, the first one was born, I had this whole ideal picture of how I would work four days a week and spend one day with her and make it a long weekend. And I realized uh, doing that, 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 um, that I did enjoy being with, with her at the time, uh, but that I also really enjoy my work and that sometimes uh, I, I prefer uh, spending five days a week working so I can give my kids uh, actually a better time um, because I'm more energized and, and, and I'm much more happy uh, than, than when I take time off to do that with them yeah that's super interesting I think speaking to a lot of women with children that's experiencing this kind of like mum guilt of like not being able to feel like you ever can dedicate yourself fully in one or the other place so how exactly did you did you come to peace with this then so well, you first first you realize it because you're not feeling great, and you're not you're not having a, 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 you're not having the time you'd like with your kids. You know, it's it's irritating, it's frustrating. You want to do other stuff on the side, and that's when the guilt sets in, and you're like, okay, you know, I I need to either focus fully on the kid or focus fully on my job. Um, and I actually had some sessions with the psychologist to discuss this, where we looked at, you know, what were, what were my expectations? I had pretty high expectations of what I was going, what I should do as a mother. But it also was about how, for instance, my husband and I um, raised our kids together and, and who did what and, and what you needed to leave, um, let's say, personally, uh, to make sure that everyone is happy and having a, a fun time. So I had some external help for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair play. I'm like all about um, getting external help when we need it. Um, but it, it, there's a lot of conditioning, isn't there? Like, again, um, as, as young women growing up, we're kind of like told what this role of motherhood is. But if we also have a career, like like you said, you know, it's like having a child in its own right, isn't it? Especially if you've got your own business, but being yeah. able to make room um, in um, you, for all of these different things that we want. and not kind of ending up with this resultant guilt of thinking it has to be one or the other um, and being able to have both I'm sure everybody listening will feel super inspired by that as well yeah. um, but I also really feel for you around uh, that sense of identity loss that came yeah. as a result of leaving the corporate world and deciding to go it alone um, yeah. I know mine was in 2017 I knew I didn't want to be there anymore but the security of having like the job title as a head of customer experience at a big organization I didn't realize just how much my identity was tied into that Um, and that you know kind of what you said that who's going to who's going to employ me to help them with with stuff I had that exact same question um, myself like you know having to separate my identity from a previous company and rebuild myself as this new version was um, super challenging like emotionally but again, like the feeling of um, what well, happy surprise when people did want to work with me yeah. and having that background was, you know, a real advantage. But it just because I didn't work for that company anymore, it didn't really take away um, or it didn't take away at all from the fact that I gained all that experience <laughs> yeah. working yeah. in big businesses. So, yeah, so I'm with you that anyone who's feeling the sense of, oh, maybe there is something bigger outside of the corporate world. Maybe I could try starting my own business. I'd encourage anyone who's got the um the motivation and the feeling that that's a possibility to definitely give it a try because it's so rewarding isn't it when you when you get there (laughs) it is it is I mean I would say I go for it although it's you know it does make you feel very anxious but go for it and you know step over boundaries every single time I've done things I'd never dreamed I would do I wrote a book uh recently so never thought I would do that when uh when I was working at KLM 
yeah no yeah. absolutely and speaking of the book that yeah. would be our, our, a nice segue into our next question so you recently published a chapter in CX4 so the collaboration yep. book series with Naeem Arif um, and in that you wrote about strategy and culture um, yeah. so for anyone who's not read it yet or thinking of buying the book could you give us a little bit of an overview of your perspective on this subject yeah sure sure so um i find culture one of the most interesting things uh within customer experience because it's in, it's it's not tangible it's uh you know if you have set set up metrics and you have a kpi framework you can see and you can measure um a strategy you can put on a wall and people can talk about it but with culture that's more difficult and um um what i wrote about is um that i feel uh, after looking at numerous companies there are seven things you can actually do to create a, a more concrete thing you can do to make that culture more customer centric or i i like to use the the word customer obsessed um uh, and those seven things uh, uh range from having a really clear cx strategy and, and 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 making sure all your employees not only know it but also know how they can contribute to it uh, it's about the hiring process um, it's easier to hire people with the right mindset than to put a lot of energy and effort into transforming people who don't have the right mindset who already work with you uh, it's about training it's not only about onboarding but training people throughout their careers at, at every level um, it's also about uh, rituals, uh, instilling small things, daily things, which make people think about a customer much, much more and much more easily. Uh, it's about rewards, informal, informal. Uh, so, you know, um, um, making sure people are put in the spotlight when they do something cool with the customer, but also making sure their financials uh, are according to the way they, um, they work with customers. And last but not least, it's about sharing the progress of customer experience within a company and making sure everybody has a feeling they're working on that together. So that's what I uh, write about with uh, examples from uh, either KLM or uh, other industries I've worked in. Yeah. It sounds super interesting. I, I, I read it because you sent it over to me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely recommend um, CX4 being a great book to read and especially this chapter. Um, just thinking about some of the things that you mentioned there and reflecting on my experience. Um, the first part of my career in CX was very much about the kind of people and culture change programs around customer service. And for me, I think um, it all really starts with understanding and listening to employees at the front line, because no matter how much you understand the experience you want to create, if you don't understand the barriers that are in their way of being able to do that, actually, um, it can still fall on fallow ground. So I remember um, when I used to start those kinds of projects, my discovery would be to hold like focus groups with frontline teams and just to ask them, you know, like kind of no, nobody comes to work wanting to do a bad job, do they? But the service scores were, you know, testament to the fact that we weren't doing a great job. So, so why? And, and a lot of the time there was like operational issues, like um, policy and processes that had been instilled from the support center that actually yeah. tied people's hands around that, that behind their back so um for example like i think a great hallmark of cx culture is being able to deal with customer problems effectively and yeah. you, know, you, you use the word customer obsessed like amazon just don't even question do they they say you've got a problem we'll fix it send it back we'll put the money back in your account and they don't they don't quibble about it they just fix it yeah. um and a lot of the um the barriers i've seen over time had been about like uh, the, the tiny percentage of customers that might take the mickey and try to take advantage of policies and processes the actual service process was 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 built around that tiny percentage 
not the 99.9% who actually just want to get their problem solved. Um, So especially like kind of the contact centre empowerment of employees, that um, if you want to create a culture where people do use their initiative and do, um, you know, take those kinds of steps to do the things that they don't have to do that customers really love and appreciate and remember you for yeah um there's also a bit of a responsibility around unblocking some of those things so so some of the biggest cultural change from 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 my experience in creating customer experience culture was about creating a culture of trusting employees more <laughs> yeah and yeah. empowering them to do a great job yeah no i i, I recognize that and um for me that goes a bit hand in hand with that customer experience strategy um and so one of the things I find really important there is that that's created together with frontline staff because they are an enormous uh, power of knowledge regarding what goes well and what is difficult with customers. So you know, cre- creating that CX strategy together, thinking about what you as a company want your customers to feel, and then empowering your your employees to be able to do that. And exactly as you say, those processes and procedures. Um, what I've noticed. Uh, uh, at KLM, but also at, at, at other companies we've worked with, is um, that at a certain point uh, they'll say in the company, "Now you have your you have a free hand in you know fixing customer problems. You have a budget of a hundred euros per customer. Go for it." And then people freeze because they're mm-hmm. not used to it, uh, and for them it's scary also. So that mm-hmm. trust thing you're mentioning there, it, it goes both ways. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, if for years you've been managed uh, as not being able to 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 to, to put a sense towards the customer if there was something wrong and just you know handling their issues in a in a specific way it also doesn't change overnight when you do have the budget available it it takes time it takes uh, lots of conversations with each other and building that trust together yeah yeah practice and you see yeah. i think you said didn't you like reassuring um, when you see the right behaviors being able to reward and recognize them and shout about them is a, a real um distinct way of speeding up some of that change because yeah. um when people read stories I know we had like kind of like employee communication magazines we'd be running stories all the time about these great things employees had done for customers to yeah. help set more of an example of well what does great service culture look like yeah. um and the only other thing that really like sticks in my mind I guess from my experience is the actual investment in engagement with the front line when you're trying to change culture yeah. Um, and um, I used to run these programs and they were heavily invested in engagement with the frontline teams. But um, I found the most effective way to change culture was about um, creating these kind of like champion groups. So one regional manager from each of the zones then kind of taking responsibility for being the person to lead the charge in this change and then them training 10 of their general managers from their patch to then cascade it down to their teams themselves was way more effective than kind of external training sessions and I've tried both (laughs) yeah Um, Yeah. but kind of that kind of peer leadership down cascade of this is actually what we all want to, to do and um being visibly leading that change and having a budget to be able to do that so to run the sessions um, I think that's not quite often one of the first things that's cut um when people are deciding where to spend money so especially now we're so technology obsessed with customer experience 
um, and actually reducing things like labour costs that actually the return on investment you can get from spending some money on employee engagement, training, yeah. um, cascading, reward and recognition yeah. is um, a significantly higher return on vest- investment <laughs> than you could necessarily yeah. get from just implementing a straight technology. So yeah like mm, super cool so 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 would you say that the, the things that you mentioned are the the specific pillars that you'd recommend yeah i would um, i would i would look at those different pillars and see what you have in place already and and where you can actually do better and um they go hand in hand like you mentioned i mean it's important uh that leadership shows it and 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 stands behind it um but at the same time there are also things that are not super costly which you can do which really helps for instance frontline staff engage so for instance at um, at klm we supplied uh, the call centers with little postcards and if they'd had a conversation which was memorable for them and they wanted to reach out to the customer they would send the postcard um uh, the crew on board uh, had what we call um gifts of care uh, and they had small gifts and depending on what they caught you know uh, what they caught in a conversation with the customer maybe it was someone's birthday or someone was traveling for a really sad reason they were able to reach out and really touch uh, a, a passenger at that time and those are things we created together with frontline staff looking at how you know what they did in their in their daily work and what they could actually do what would help them do that yeah oh you just reminded me um another one so it was a christmas campaign um when i was working in retail and we developed this concept around random acts of kindness so yep. similarly um said you know but we've got each store has a budget and um, when you see these opportunities to you know really make somebody's day or if they're in a difficult situation like you said um to um to help them more than you normally would and let's just see what happens and the social media impact of that was huge yeah all of a sudden like 190,000 employees in this business all of a sudden these stories of kindness were just popping up all over social media and like in comparison to like brand strategies and advertising programs like that kind of advocacy and genuine um well just people saying really nice things about <laughs> your business like you can't buy that so um just how kind of valuable it is to be able to to do something like that so great in a very practical way um so so where should listeners really be focusing you think i think you mentioned you know being able to do an assessment around where you are today like what, what where can we start with this yeah um well i i would look at each of these elements and look at you know is there a cx strategy do people actually know it do they know what it means uh, and do they know how they can contribute if if you for instance if your goal is to make your customers feel you're easy to deal with um go and analyze that see if your customers actually perceive that and see what each you know discuss with different departments what they can do to make life more easy for their customers mm-hmm. um and you can go you know you can go through that for each of these seven elements leadership is uh, a bit more um, difficult sometimes. Uh, I, I always say you have believers. Those are people you don't need to tell that much about customers. They, they believe that customer experience is super important. You also have people who do not believe at all um, and who will be very difficult to convince. And you have people in the middle. And those people in the middle are the people you need to help who will definitely tell the story, but who might need some convincing, but who are ready to go for it. And I, I would see and analyze, you know, what, what's going on there in your company, in the leadership team, and what can you do there? Um, if someone does not believe, I would, yeah, I would not advise to really start with it because I do find it extremely important that leadership 
um, yeah, we spoke about that, walks the walk. Um, mm. Yeah, otherwise it's going to be extremely difficult. People do see uh, uh, leadership as role models. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I remember like this kind of live, living out in practice in some of the projects I led, um, where like we did talk about the people sitting on the fence were the ones to target and to really try to invest in because you've already got the naturals who yeah. will continue to be champions for customers anyway. But that other side of the fence, the ones that are probably not the kinds of people that would ever fit into this culture that you're trying to drive actually this is about having really difficult conversations this is about performance management setting standards and when people don't meet them actually holding them to account so I'm so I know like uh, one of the key metrics for these kinds of programs is actually employee retention so being able to invest employees so they stay for longer you reduce the cost to recruit it's great but actually sometimes there is going to be a cost to removing the people from your organization who are never going to be able to yep. deliver the kind of service that your customers deserve and we see this I think a lot with like historical legacy so when companies are older they tend to have a bigger pool of people around but what I did see though was when the people on the fence started shifting to the right side <laughs> that actually did have a positive impact on um, the naysayers because yep. they were started to be surrounded by people who were actively saying you know we want this to be part of this change we want to do this and yep. they started to feel uh, I guess less comfortable being a negative <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah naysayer about it so yeah that's fascinating so just to finish off then <laughs> um, what would be your kind of top piece of career advice or your top takeaway for from this conversation for women in CX um a couple of things um uh, first off you know take take a chance with yourself if there's dreams you have or things you want to do out there which look very daunting um go for it go for it step by step and see what happens um i can almost promise you that you'll you know things will happen that you'd never expected and that it will uh will help and and at the same time it might not be for you and you'll figure that out then and then no harm has been done either so i think that's one big lesson i learned um then then the 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 family uh family work balance uh i think it's important to figure out for yourself what works for you there and not to feel guilty if that leans more towards work sometimes uh and less towards children i think the the most important thing i found out was um my kids are most happy when i am and figuring out when that is gives me the opportunity to care for them in the best way i can and then culture-wise, um, yeah, I would uh, look at these seven factors, see what you're already doing there uh, as a company, um, and and brainstorm uh, with the frontline, but also with other people within the organization who are believers uh, on what you can can do to improve it even further. Awesome advice. And is there anywhere that our listeners could go to find out more about this? Obviously, by CX4, but is yeah. there anything on your website that they might? Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely stuff on our website. So that's cxunraveled.com uh, where you can go to or follow our LinkedIn channel. We regularly post, uh, for instance, uh, reading lists on culture or specific facts that we found out or things we've done with companies. So I would say those are two, uh, two good resources. Yeah, and then you do free little CX events as well, don't you? That yeah. people can tune into. So yeah, yeah, so follow the CX Unraveled page on LinkedIn and yeah. yeah, head over to the website as well. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today, Thursday. Thank you.
Thank you, Claire. It was a really <laughs> lovely conversation. Very interesting. <laughs> and yeah, thank you for continuing to be one of the most wonderful founding members of mm-hmm. Women in CX community. I can't wait to continue to work with you uh, in their team. So thank you it. so much. Okay, <laughs> Thanks great. everyone for listening. Bye, Thursday. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more about joining the world's first online community for women in customer experience, please check out womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next time where I'll be talking to another amazing community member about breaking gender stereotypes in marriage and CX in Kenya. See you all then.